discover the possibilities of internal medicine. So I would love to take the opportunity today to welcome two fellows from SUNY Albany Center for the Elimination of Minority Health Disparities uh, who have joined us today on this podcast. NYACP has had the pleasure of working with Ala Kalu and Rosie Love this past semester. My name is Heather Bennett. I'm the Executive Director of NYACP and I've had the privilege of working with both of these women and I'm excited to share information about them with everyone today. Who would like to go first? Ala's smiling at me, so I'm going to say. <laughs> Ala, welcome. You want to introduce yourself to everybody and share a little bit about your background? I'm a PhD candidate in the sociology department at University at Albany. My scholarship centers around Black girlhood, um, urban sociology, and inequality, specifically in the areas of education, race, and gentrification. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about Black girlhood? This for anybody who's might not have studied that or read too much about that in the past. Well, I started off in literacy education. And one of the concepts of literacy education is how to promote multicultural literacy, especially with Brown and Black students. Typically in education, there is a huge focus on how to get Black boys up on par in terms of educational and um, the achievement gap. So Black girls kind of get neglected and lost and silenced because they do perform well. So performing well kind of leaves them invisible. They don't think that they need assistance or help. So Black girlhood is basically like this promotion of agency in literacy education for Black girls like how to promote agency and self-efficacy. That's awesome. Very interesting. How did you become um, affiliated with SUNY Albany Center for the Elimination of Minority Health Disparities? I started off originally, like I said, in the literacy education program. I realized that very quickly that my interests and passions align more with sociological implications about race and gender. So primarily intersection, intersectionality, excuse me. Um, And I switched over to the sociology PhD program. My research interests were recognized by my new department chair and my new advisor as aligning with health disparities. And I was encouraged to apply to the Presidential Health Disparities Fellowship, which is hosted by the CMHD. Great. And you're working on your dissertation research now, right? You finished your coursework? Yeah, I finished my coursework in May. And how's that research going? It's interesting. (laughs) So my earlier projects focus on critical race theory and Black feminist standpoint to better understand how Black girls and women use literacy to reconstruct their agency. However, my dissertation kind of focuses, it's on a broader perspective of race-based exclusion from the educational system. Um, And I'm looking at how neighborhood change influences the racial composition of schools and achievement. Um, So more specifically, I'm using a comparative analysis um, between Northern and Southern states to look at how segregation has impacted educational attainment. So do you think that educational attainment has an impact on how people feel and their health? Yes. Yes. That's the health disparity. Yep. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Like, so how does that connect? Prior to coming over and getting this fellowship, I did not realize that education or lack of education qualified as a health disparity. Health and education outcomes for Americans are like closely connected and linked to each other. People with less education tend to live shorter 
um, less healthier lives compared to people with higher education. Education has the ability to provide opportunities for people for people because it's linked to higher income. So it also in turn gives them social and psychological benefits. It encourages healthier lifestyles and provides them to better access to healthcare. And when you have poor health, it puts educational attainment at risk. Um, and it's a process that starts from early childhood and continues throughout their lives. So my research pays special attention to these gaps in educational achievement. And instead of blaming brown and black people for their lifestyles, I address how this country's social, political, and historical underpinnings have created implicit and explicit social structures that have silenced minorities. NYACP is one of your uh, experiential placements, right? It's been a pleasure to work with you and I've learned so much. Do you have anything you'd like to share as like reactions or takeaways from the time that you've been with at NYACP? One of the things I have appreciated about this specific rotation is that prior to this, I typically work on the research end. So we don't really see like the policies or the people who are deciding things research is just the production, right? Mm -hmm. So um, basically this rotation has allowed me to like, given me a deeper level of understanding of how people in positions of power look at society, societal issues and how it has a revolving impact on our healthcare system and the populations we look at. That's great. Well, I appreciate that feedback. Um, I'll also note that um, Ala and Rosie have been working with NYACP's DEI committee. And um, I don't know if they know this right now, but I'm still going to send them invitations to all of those meetings, even after their placement ends. And I hope that they're able to come and share their expertise with that group because it's been, uh, your input's been very, very valuable. That's great, Ala. I'll see if Rosie wants to fill in some and then maybe we could have some shared conversation at the end too. Okay. Rosie, so thanks for joining us. If you want to share a little bit of information about your background. I know you're a social worker and then you've suspend your career and then you're diving into a PhD at SUNY Albany. How did that come to happen? Yes, I am old. Thank you so much. You're not old. I did not say old. Anybody here old? I'm uh, way older want... than all everybody in this, uh, in this conversation. First, I just want to say thank you for having us today, Heather. It's going to be very difficult to follow up my amazing colleague, Ala Kalu, who is an absolute genius when it comes to her scholarship. In terms of your question, how did I get introduced to this whole uh, program and, and begin along this career path? I'll just start with who I am. I was born in pre-gentrified um, Brooklyn, New York. And I, I do like to add that disclaimer of the fact that it was before uh, Brooklyn became gentrified because Brooklyn, a lot of people don't remember, was highly segregated um, back in the 80s and 90s. And I think some of the things that we experienced definitely pushed me to the field of social work. Um, as you mentioned, I am a licensed social worker. Um, I began in uh, basically community health and sexual health education down at a federal, federally qualified uh, community health center down in um, Harlem, and I did that for several years. I absolutely loved it. And from there, I went on, um, on to do clinical um, and care coordination um, types of social work, working with people living with uh, HIV and AIDS. 
And from there, I went on to work as a training and technical assistance advisor over at the Department of Health, where I managed and oversaw programs across the state uh, dealing with HIV and viral hepatitis. And then from there, I went on to become a program manager uh, within the Department of Health AIDS Institute. And while there, one of the things that stood out most to me is despite um, having all of these sort of, you know, what we would call wraparound services, that disparities continue to persist. And this was despite the fact that tons of literature point to the fact that there's very little differences in terms of risk behavior amongst, you know, populations who are considered most at risk, right? So behaviors aren't different. However, communities are sharing a disproportional amount of, of exposure and, you know, having to live with these, um, this issue, HIV and AIDS, as well as viral hepatitis. And so to answer your question more fully, so what happened as a result of that is I reached out to executive management with them, and I'm ever so grateful for um, one of my mentors. Um, her name is Joanne Morn, and she was, to me, the example of the type of uh, courageous leadership that's needed in order to really make reform. She was just receptive. She was receptive to the idea that we start to look at things in a different way. And so what do I mean by that? I started to do more research on uh, health equity and what that meant. And so we started this initiative, which basically said, okay, listen, before we go ahead and continue to blame people for the structures and the conditions in which they have to live, let's take a look at ourselves first, right? And so we started with doing a survey of all of the staff within um, our organization to gain a better understanding. What was their understanding of sort of like systemic racism, redlining, other health equity sort of principles that, um, you know, create these disparities in health, right? And we use that to then create um, programs for staff so that we could build their competency in their ability to really work with community to address uh, disparities. And I think the most important thing that came out of, of that was this idea that communities whom, whom share a larger um, burden in terms of HIV and AIDS, they are priorities, right? So I think that sometimes we have this view that, you know, we look at it from a deficit model and we have a tendency to blame the victim, but how about, how would it look if we reframe that and we called the communities who are most impacted a priority instead? So that's the work that I did at the, the AIDS Institute. And so the place where we sort of um, had our biggest challenge is, you know, how do we marry this concept, right? How do we put a ring on it? And so <laughs> that's where the policy piece comes in. How do we create policies that regardless of who is sitting at the table, we continue to make health equity a priority. And so I decided at that point that it was time for me to come back to school and figure out what I could learn more about policy to help advance health equity. And that is how I got here. That is, that's a great journey. Thank you for sharing all that detail. I, I really love what you just said. If this policy were prioritizing people who were experiencing health disparities, would it look the same? And I think that that's a really great vantage point 
instead of saying, how does this policy, which we accept as neutral, does how, how does it impact health disparities? That's a very hard question to, ask, to answer, but it's, it's a lot clearer um, when you start with the, the way you framed it. If this policy were in place to advance health equity, would it look like this? Or what would be different? Very interesting. Is that part of your dissertation research? I, I believe that it will be a part of my dissertation project. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really believe in creating interventions that are practical um, and that can be translated into real world settings. And so I don't want there to just be a lot of talk and chatter. Like I really prefer when public health professionals like come up with something that that actually works and that actually gives people tools to work with. That's great. So at this point, you haven't defined yet your dissertation research project. You're still kind of exploring the different avenues. Absolutely. But I am in the process of creating a tool um, which really looks at policy and says, okay, exactly how you described earlier, this whole idea that, uh, you know, there's a race neutral approach to creating policy currently. This whole idea of colorblind policy, it it doesn't exist. Um, We all walk into the policy process, um, or I should say policymakers, um, walk into the policy process with bias, whether it's known bias or subconscious bias or whatever have you. And so we have to develop systems to counteract that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it starts with education, but it also starts with, there's tons of implicit bias tools out on the market now where policy writers can, you know, even test themselves. Um, Harvard has a great implicit bias tools and there's there's tons of other ones I won't go into them but um, and even I would say from in terms of connecting the dots with you know academic medicine and the med- med- medical field um, you know these tools are available as well so that folks who are in medicine um, can test themselves some research shows that medical doctors are really do reflect just the general American public in terms of implicit bias. And I, I think it's something that we we all should take a look at because we all bring it to the work that we do. Yeah. The um, the entire NYACP council has gone through the um, that Harvard implicit bias. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was one of our projects about a year ago as we all did it and then had a, a learning um, experience around it. But it's an excellent tool. So I'm, I'm glad you, you raised that one. I, if anybody listening is interested, they Harvard implicit bias, and it comes up and it's a tool right online, you can kind of go through an analysis for yourself, which is a healthy thing to do. Takeaways from the NYACP experiential placement, is there anything that you could think of that you'd like to share? Um, I, I mean, I really have enjoyed my time here. I, I found it to be extremely uh, beneficial and on so many different levels. I've had the distinct pleasure to work on um, the curriculum that you all are putting together related to health equity. And I've had some time to sort of do a deeper dive in, in terms of the issues that academic medicine is facing in regards to health equity, advancing health equity. And one of the things that I found most helpful was having the opportunity to speak to Dr. Straker. Um, about her experiences, as well as the DEI committee about their experiences. And I think those conversations 
they were so useful in being able to give me that anecdotal experience that you don't necessarily, you can read it in, in the literature, but when you hear it, it just, it gives so much fullness to the conversation that you're not able to get from words on a paper. And so I think the takeaway that I am walking away with is that if we're going to advance health equity for priority population, the populations, the work really needs to begin within, right? So academic medicine has to do that inward look at the historical relationship with, uh, with racism and racist ideologies, right? Having a more encompassing idea of what racism is in terms of structural rate, systemic racism and how that shows up within institutions, right? Um, helping faculty become more reflexive um, it, it includes looking at not only the racialized experiences of students who report an abundance of race, racist experiences, but also looking at BIPOC faculty and their experiences with racism, looking at also how do you build in those experiential knowledge sets into curriculum so that faculty are getting appropriate credit when they are working with um, marginalized students so that they're not overburdened and overworked and can't compete at the same level as their colleagues. Mm -hmm. So all these nuances um, came up in the literature and in, and in talking to um, you know, folks in my personal time and folks you know, over at the American College of Physicians. And I think that uh, by and large, your dedication, the organization's dedication to seeing changes is really what's going to propel the organization forward in such wonderful, creative, and inspiring ways. Um, but, you know, diversity is so important, but diversity isn't enough. Like, it has to go hand in hand with a change in the way you approach the work that you do. And so I just thank you for allowing me to um, just be a part of this internship and to, to learn, to learn about all of these different dynamics. We at NYACP learn so much from our health disparity fellows. I'm, I'm really grateful you, you add a lot to the organization through your participation. So um, we are blessed to have you as part of that. I'm, I'm grateful to both of you and I look forward to continuing to work to, with you in the months and, and years ahead. So thank you.